Welcome to A Brief Chat. I'm Jason Crane. Today is Wednesday. It's the eighth day of July. And if you don't count last week, it's the first Wednesday. So we'll get to uh, books in just a minute with Farwa Zaidi. But first, let's take a look back at this day in radical history via the Slingshot Organizer. You can get your own copy at slingshotcollective.org. It was on this day in 2016 when a thousand people shut down a freeway in Oakland to protest the police murder of Alton Sterling and Philando Castile. That was this day in 2016. And don't forget, go to slingshotcollective.org. You can grab your copy of The Organizer. This isn't a paid advertisement or anything. I just think that we're, when we're involved in movements, it's useful to know our history and to be reminded that other people have walked these paths before us. So again, as I said, if you don't count uh, last week when the first day of the month fell on Wednesday and I completely spaced on it, then today is uh, we're going to count it as the quasi first Wednesday of July. And that means it's time to talk about books with Farwa Zaidi. She has a great blog called Farwa Reads, which will be linked in the show notes. And there's an Instagram account to go along with it. Farwa, welcome back to the show. Hi, thanks for having me again. My pleasure, as always. Uh, What have you got for us this month? So I don't know if you're aware, but July is Disability Awareness Month, as I was made aware last week, right when the month started. And so I was thinking a lot about the books I read and how I could better incorporate books about disability and mental health. And that got me thinking about one of my favorite books that I've read this year, which is called The Collected Schizophrenia by Esme Weijun Wang. In it, she chronicles her life battling schizophrenia, schizophrenia schizoaffective disorder and different mental illnesses. So I've been thinking a lot about ableism and disability this month and just in the past month with all the protests going on, I've seen a lot of people posting that they don't feel comfortable going out and protest because they're immunocompromised or whatever such reason. And they're saying like, instead I'm doing, you know, I'm donating money or I'm raising awareness, which is extremely valid and such a great way to help if you can't protest. And I think that should be implemented no matter what, you know, I think in the leftist community, we can gatekeep a lot. And there's this idea that if you can't march or if you can't protest, then you're not a real activist, but there are people out there with mental and physical disabilities who literally cannot protest. And I think to erase their activism due to their disabilities is extremely ableist and I've thought a lot about how ableism is the final frontier for activism because it's so ingrained in our societies that even leftist communities can be so ableist without even realizing it. So I thought this book was really great because it taught me a lot about ableism and mental health. Yeah, it feels like if we're, you know, if we're going to advocate for all of these causes in the name of justice and then we kind of blindly exclude an entire group of people uh, no matter how well intentioned our protests, we're not doing what we could be doing. Exactly, in we're failing an entire community. So, to get into the book, um, Esme Wang is a Taiwanese American woman. She's first generation, and she was raised in California. She was diagnosed with multiple different disorders until finding out her true diagnosis. Uh, she talks about how she was a high-functioning person. She won countless accolades during high school despite the fact that she was battling mental illnesses and dealing with a volatile home life. And then at the end of her high school career, got into Yale University. She says that she could tell people were always shocked when she told them she was going to Yale because her mental illness, she thought, was obvious to people. 
She writes that saying I went to Yale is shorthand for I have schizoaffective disorder, but I'm not worthless. She was diagnosed with bipolar disorder the summer before leaving for Yale and was depending on the university's dependent of mental, Department of Mental Hygiene. Sorry. Um, I learned that Yale has its own psych ward known as the Yale Psychiatric Institute. And the author actually spent some time there and writes about how horrible it was. I'm going off of the essay in her book called Yale Won't Save You. And you can find it online. I did. And it basically talks about how Yale failed her as a student with mental health issues. She was put into their psychiatric institute after an episode where she found out that her psychiatrist was giving her a wrong dosage of medicine. And this huge incompetency made her feel like her life was not worth living. And she started having suicidal thoughts and was put into a young psychiatric institute. And you can like you can just tell the incompetency of the university and their mental health department. You know, she says that she was told her psychiatrist would meet her at the institute, but she never did. And what the author says that she was allowed to stay at Yale under the condition that her mother comes to live with her. And like I said before, she had a pretty volatile family history. So this wasn't exactly a win in terms of her mental health. And she ended up being hospitalized a second time later that year. And for this, Yale asked her to leave. Their words were that being hospitalized twice in the span of one year was a breach of etiquette. They expelled her from campus and asked her to never return. She was asked to collect her things in just one day and leave campus. She never returned to Yale again, except for when she went to do some interviews to determine whether she could return. She did four interviews, and although she was told she seemed ready to come back, their decision was ultimately a no. So she was basically expelled for having mental health issues, which, like, you can probably tell is indicative of, like, how far the higher education industry has to go in terms of mental health. I mean, this is like a huge and egregious example, but I'm sure there are more stories that, you know, we don't hear about and stories that are way less obvious, but college can be extremely ableist. You know, there are children, there are kids who have mental health disorders, kids who can't afford school, kids who have family issues and all of that leads to like, mental health issues and colleges are just extremely unaccommodating of that. And I think the author talks about this really well in her essay. And this happened to her at one of the richest institutions on the face of the exactly. earth. Exactly. So you know that they have the resources to help these students, you know? Yeah. They just choose not to. Exactly. The breach of etiquette phrase is particularly disgusting. Exactly. As if, as if mental health has etiquette or... Yeah, as if she know, was being rude so to the institution by having mental health issues. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you mentioned that, you know, in your in your own life, and I know this is 100% true for me as well, that there's, there's more education, um, you know, to be done when it comes to uh, being ableist. And I know that's absolutely true for me as well. It, it's, it sounds like this book is uh, might be a step for folks along that path for sure it definitely was for me um like i said i looked into it because i felt like 
I wasn't learning enough about disability and about ableism, and it was a great resource. I learned a lot. Um, the author has a great passage about person-first language, and I'm sure a lot of people are guilty of this. I know I was of using ableist language, such as so-and-so is bipolar, when instead we should be mindful of putting the person first. For example, saying so-and-so has bipolar disorder. The author explains why really well and says, we would never say of someone that they are cancer. We say that they are battling cancer or they had cancer. The same should be said of mental illness and it's like a small step in the long road to decriminalizing mental health and mental illnesses. Yeah, and to moving it away from a fault of the person to uh, a disease with which they're struggling. Exactly. Uh, so now this is just a housekeeping note. Do you have any other thoughts I should ask you about before we wrap up? Uh, no, that's all. Okay, cool. So now I'll just ask you for the name of the book again and that kind of thing. Okay. Oh, here we go. Three, two. Well, Farwa, it sounds like a fabulous read. Uh, we will certainly put links uh, in the show notes, but will you just tell me the uh, name of the book and the author again? Yeah, it's The Collected Schizophrenia by Esme Weijun Wang. That's Farwa Zaidi. She's on each month, usually on the first Wednesday of the month when I have my <laughs> act together. Uh, you can hear all of her previous reviews by going to abriefchat.com. You'll notice along the left side navigation menu, or if you're on your phone, whatever menu, wherever it appears, you'll see uh, Farwa Reads, and you just click on that, and all of her reviews are right there. All the books she talks about are in the show notes, and if you're looking for some summer reading that will not only keep you interested, but maybe help you move along the path of your own growth, uh, Farwa's always great with suggestions. I'll also put links to her blog and the Instagram account that goes with it. Meanwhile, you can go to abriefchat.com as well to become a member if you would like. That is uh, very useful for me and for my family. And if you do become a member, you get a bonus episode every Saturday. Uh, otherwise, you get one Monday through Friday, including tomorrow and then this Friday when Poetry Fridays is back as usual. Uh, I hope you have a fabulous rest of your day. I love you. A better world is possible, but we have a lot of work to do. Thank <laughs> you.